This morning as we gather around the Word of God, we're going to ask God's blessing over the teaching of His Word. And like we do almost every single week, we pray not only for ourselves, but we pray for a local church and their pastor. Because the church down the road is not our competition, right? There are brothers and sisters in Jesus, and we want the churches of this community to be well and grow and thrive in grace. And so this morning, we're going to pray for First Baptist Church Coco. Many of you may not know this, but First Baptist Church Merritt Island was planted almost 75 years ago by the First Baptist Church of Coco. And so I guess they're our mother church, I guess. Um, but we grew up, and we don't let them tell us what to do anymore. So it's, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> They have a brand new pastor. His name is Dean Williamson. This last week, Pastor Dean and I met for the first time. He came over and we spent about an hour and a half just talking and praying with one another. He's 28 years old. So it's one of those churches that has a young pastor. You know what that's like, right? Rough rot, water's ahead. No, I'm kidding. It was awesome how his story mirrored so much of of our story, Emily's and mine, as they moved to this area just because God had stirred their hearts. He came on staff there as an associate and then transitioned uh, just about a month or so ago into the senior pastor role. That's very much the story of, of how God brought us here. And so a lot of affection in my heart already for Pastor Dean. And so we're gonna pray for him. And would you pray that his heart would be filled with faith, that he would love and serve Jesus all of his days, that he would proclaim the Bible with boldness, and that the hearts of First Baptist Church Coco would be knit together with their pastors, that they together would follow Jesus. And church, I just want to say thank you. When I was talking to a young pastor about the days that lay ahead for him, It was awesome to be able to say that I have the privilege to serve a church family now for almost 20 years that I love with all my heart and that has shown their young, youthful, sometimes crazy pastor so much love and grace. And I pray that would be Pastor Dean's experience. Would you pray that with me? Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you that the church down the street, and this one literally just across the bridge, they're our brothers and sisters, Lord. I pray they're having a great morning. I pray that those rooms and small groups and that room as as an auditorium is being filled, not only with people, but with the power of the Holy Spirit. And God, I pray for Pastor Dean. Lord, as he steps in as a young man into such an important role in a body of Christ, I know feels the weight and sobriety of having to make decisions all the time that seminary didn't quite prepare him to make. Lord, I pray that he would know that he is sufficient in Jesus because Jesus is sufficient for him. I pray he'd lean hard into Christ and trust him. And Lord, I pray you would knit his heart together with First Baptist Church Coco. Lord, I pray that 20 years from now, he would still be serving that church family. They would be thriving in love for you and one another. And Lord, I pray that you'd help them, help them all to grow together in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And so, Lord, for First Baptist Coco and Pastor Dean, we ask for blessing the power of the Spirit, the glory of Christ, the renewal and a revival that would take Coco and turn it upside down or rather right side up for the glory of Jesus, Lord. 
And help us be good friends. Help us be good partners in ministry to them in the years ahead. And God, as we study your word, we pray that you would be our teacher, that our hearts would be open to your voice, that we would believe and obey everything that you have to say. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. For the last month or so, we've been in a short series that we've called Church Matters. And what we've been looking at are several areas of life in a local church and why those particular practices matter, why, why they are important. And today we're going to wrap up our study by thinking through the mission of the church of Jesus Christ. And we're going to ask that same question that we've asked week after week. Why does it matter? Why does the mission matter? Why is it so important? But before we tackle that question, I don't want to assume that everyone knows what the mission of the church actually is. So let's kind of review that for just a moment as we begin. In Luke chapter 19 verse 10, Jesus tells his disciples that he came to this earth to seek and to save the lost. In other words, Jesus came on a search and rescue mission for lost and broken people who were hurt and dying in their own sin. That mission of Jesus brought him to this earth. It took him all the way to the cross where he died as a sacrifice for our sin. When Jesus was on the cross, God placed the sin of the world on him and punished our sin on Jesus so that we could be forgiven of that sin and restored to God, so that we could be saved, Jesus says, to seek and save, saved from eternity in hell because of the work of Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible is really clear, friend. Anyone and everyone who will place their faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, depending on him to do in his life, death, and resurrection, what we're not able to do in our own sin, anyone who will call on Jesus in faith, the Bible says, will be saved every way they need to be saved by Jesus. That's why Jesus came, the mission he came on in this earth. Well, here's the reality. That mission of seeking and saving people did not end when Jesus returned to heaven to be with the Father. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus made it clear that his plan is to continue carrying out that mission through his followers, through those who would trust in him. Jesus wants to spread the good news of his grace and salvation to the ends of the earth, and he desires to do that through people Like us, his followers who are trusting in him. He wants this whole world, every tribe and tongue and nation to know his saving grace through the message of the gospel. That's the mission of Jesus that he invites all of his disciples. He commands all of his disciples to be part of. And that mission, guys, listen, it's so integral to the history of of this world that Jesus says something really interesting in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. Listen to the word of Christ. He says, and this gospel, the gospel of the good news about Jesus, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world. What do you think Jesus means there? The whole world. (laughs) And does it seem to be in doubt? Is this something that may or may not happen? No. 
It will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to, what's that next word? All nations. Now look at this next phrase. And then the end will come. Did you know Jesus will not come back until the gospel has been proclaimed in all and among all the nations? That word nation is is an important word. It translates the Greek word ethnos. That's the word we get ethnic from. And it's not talking about geopolitical uh, groups like the nations we think of, like America or Malaysia or China or England or France. It's not talking about geopolitical groups. It's talking about people groups. Groups of people who share a distinct culture, a distinct language, a distinct tradition and identity. So it's different than just the nations. Let me give you a little bit of perspective on that. There are about 200 recognized nations in the world today. But there are just over 11,000 recognized people groups living among those 200 nations. And something we need to know as we think about the words of Christ in Matthew 24 is this. Of those 11,000 people groups, approximately 3,100 are unreached and unengaged with the gospel of Jesus. Here's what I mean by that. Unreached means there's no known movement of Christianity in that people group. And unengaged means there's no group of people that we know of who are actively sustaining a work to reach those people with the gospel and plant churches in their culture. They're unreached, unengaged. 3,100 of them. And Jesus says he will not return until every people group has had the gospel proclaimed and followers from those people groups turn to Jesus. And let me give you a sense of perspective. Just one of those unreached people groups live in Bangladesh. They have 130 million people in their people group. And statistically speaking, 0% of that people group are followers of Jesus Christ. And Jesus will not return until they hear the gospel and some turn in faith to trust in him. That's the destiny, the history of this world. And that's why Jesus says ahead of time, I'm calling you on a mission, a mission to the nations, to every people group. I'm calling you, you in this room, every follower of Jesus, that's you and me, to make followers of other people throughout the world. That is our mission. It's linked to the destiny of the world. It is God's plan for the history of the world. That's what God wants for the United States of America, and that's what he wants for every other nation and people group around the world. And this is a good time to pause as we think about that mission. Don't answer this out loud, but a good question for you to ask yourself is simply this. Am I living on that mission? Would a casual observer of your life conclude that this is what your life is all about? Guys, that's a really important question. Because that's what Jesus came to do. That's what Jesus came to call you into, to invite you into his mission. I pray we will leave this morning and our hearts will beat fast thinking about the mission of Jesus in our community and to the nations 
of the world. And there are lots of things we could say about the mission of Christ. But remember, in this series is why does it matter? Why is it so important? And there are lots of things I could say about why the mission of Jesus is so important. I could say, well, Jesus told us to do it and everything Jesus told us to do is important. And that would be sufficient reason enough. But I want to take you to a passage of scripture that I believe shines great light on why the mission of Jesus to the people of this world is so important. Why it matters So much. Look at Revelation chapter 5. We're going to work our way through this chapter just a little bit at a time, starting here in verse 1. Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. I'm going to warn you that all morning long I'm going to be tempted to run off on a tangent, okay? This passage is just that rich. And you're going to want me to say something about something you see there that I'm not going to say, okay? And you're just going to have to enjoy it. Let that be a word from God to you. We'll have to limit this to the next hour and a half of our time together, okay? (laughs) A little bit of the joke there, kind of. Verse 1, look at the word of God. Then I saw, this is John writing, then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, A scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep, John says, loudly. He had an ugly cry right there in heaven. Because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Okay, stop right there. Here's what's important to know. In this text, the Apostle John is receiving a vision from Jesus about things that are going to take place before Jesus comes again. So what he's looking at, he's looking at a scene in heaven that's going to happen, that will take place before the end of the world. And the scene that he sees, future reality shows that in verse 1, God the Father sitting on the throne of heaven. In his right hand, he has a scroll. Now, the description of that scroll is really important. I'm not going to spend a lot of time detailing it, but it perfectly describes the description of the kind of scroll that was used in first century Roman life to write a will. In Roman families, the father had complete authority over everyone in their household and everything that he owned. And so it was incumbent on the father in his authority to write out in great detail what his desire was for everything that he owned and for everyone under his authority. And then once the time came, it was the the role of a designee to take that scroll, that will, open it up and execute everything that the father said he desired to take place. Someone with authority and ability would then carry out whatever the father had destined for everything under his authority. Authority, And that's what's happening here in heaven. God has a scroll that contains everything that he's destined to take place for everything under his authority. Can I just ask you a real quick question? What is under God's authority? 
There you go. Everything in the entire universe, including your life and this nation and everything in this world. And so God, having that power and authority, has made known, it seems here on this scroll, what his desire is. What he has destined to take place for the entire universe. Okay, So you can think of that scroll as the destiny of God... For the entire universe, your life, your family, your nation, and the nations of the world. And then verse 2, as God holds that scroll in his hand, an angel cries out, who's worthy to open this scroll? Who's worthy to execute God's destiny, his desire, his will for this world? Who's worthy? And at first, the answer seems to be no one, right? It says, no one was found worthy. No one was worthy in heaven to open the scroll. None of the angels, none of the elders, none of the saints of old. And no one on earth was worthy. No man, woman, or child who has ever lived was found worthy. No one was worthy to execute God's plan for the world. And so John begins to weep out loud. It makes sense. He's saying if there's no one who's worthy to execute God's good plan for the world, what's going to happen? What's going to happen with the future if no one is worthy to execute God's good plan? Basically, John is crying out the way half of America does after every presidential election. What's going to happen? It's all going to fall apart. Who? can bring about God's destiny for this world. Look at verse five. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Stop right there. As John is weeping over the fact that no one is worthy to take the destiny of this world into their hand, an elder in heaven says, hey bro, you can stop crying now. There is someone who's capable of doing the job. There's someone who's qualified, who's worthy. His name is Jesus. He's the lion of Judah. He's the root of David. He is the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. He is worthy. And the elder includes this. He has conquered. You notice that's in past tense, right? He's already done what needs to be done. For the destiny of God to be fulfilled in this world and throughout this entire universe. The the lion can open the scroll. There's only one person, guys. And this is where we're going to stop. There's only one person in the history of this world. There's only one person who lives and is alive and reigning today in this universe, who is worthy and able to execute God's good plan for all of humanity. There's only one, and his name is Jesus. Jesus is the victorious Lion of Judah. Jesus is not just the descendant of King David. Notice he's the root You know what that means? David grew up from him. He didn't grow up from David. You know why? Because Jesus was king before David was born. He's the eternal son of God, the one who is worthy. Only Jesus is worthy to bring about God's good plan for humanity. 
for everyone, everywhere, throughout all time. And guys, that is our big idea for today. Listen, the mission matters because there is no one like Jesus. No one. Why does it matter that we would take the good news about Jesus across the street to our neighbors and around the world to the nations? Why would it be so important that we would live our whole lives on a mission to tell every man, woman, and child about Jesus Christ? Why would it be that we would sacrifice our fortunes and our time and our lives and our livelihoods to tell this world about Jesus? Why would it matter? You know why it matters? Because there's no one like Jesus and the world needs to know. He alone holds the destiny of this world and the destiny of every man, woman, and child in his hand. The mission matters because there is no one like Jesus. And here's what I want us to do before we go. I want to just show you three things from the rest of this passage that put Jesus in a category all by himself. Now, we could go through the Bible and we could add Hundreds of things to this list. I want to show you three from this passage that put Jesus in a category by himself and lend significance to this mission of making Jesus known in this community and around the world. Here's the first thing. There's no one like Jesus because only Jesus is able to give victory. Look at verse 5. Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Now, this has already happened. He has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So, so the angel says, or the elder says, Jesus is worthy to execute God's good plan, his will for the world, because he has conquered. He's already done something that brought victory. He's conquered. And the obvious question you should ask at that point in the text is, what has Jesus conquered, Right? Well, look at the next verse, verse 6. And between the throne. Now, this language of between the throne, it's a, it's, a, it's, it's a centerpiece kind of language. John's describing that the center of heaven, the center of the throne, the center of worship is this lion who is coming out from behind the throne. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. With seven horns, horns represent strength, seven perfect, so perfect strength. With seven eyes, the perfect ability to see and know all things, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went, this lamb, and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. I love this imagery, guys. John looks to see the lion of Judah and out walks a lamb. Guys, the lion who conquered is the lamb who was slain. You know, that's a reference to something, right? It's a reference to the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus secured victory for humanity by becoming the sacrificial lamb of God. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 12 through 14. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, talking about his cross, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. 
For by a single offering, the one he offered at the cross, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Guys, Jesus came to this earth. He suffered and he died as a sacrifice for our sin. And the reason why that is so significant, the reason why that should cause our hearts to beat fast and our minds to think clear about the mission of Christ is this. The greatest problem facing humanity today is the problem of our own sin. And I realize that that's not being printed in headlines around the world. We want to blame shift on everybody else. It's this political party's fault or that political party's fault. It's this social movement's fault or that social movement's fault. It's this particular thing in our culture or that particular thing. It's this nation or that nation. It's this leader or that leader. Do you know the greatest problem in our world today is our own sin? Because our sin has separated us from God. We have made ourselves enemies of almighty God by rebelling against him in our sin. And the Bible is clear. If we die in our sin, we will spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. And that is a sobering thought. For you, for me, for your neighbors, your friends, your co-workers... And every man, woman, and child on planet earth. If we die in our sin, we die separated from God and will spend eternity in hell. Hell is real. Hell is eternal. Hell is a place of unimaginable suffering experiencing the wrath of God over our sin. But Jesus came to conquer sin, death, hell, and the grave. He went to the cross as a sacrificial lamb. He died in our place so that we could be forgiven and our sin would be removed. When he hung on the cross, God took our sin and placed it on Jesus and punished our sin at the cross of Christ and Jesus bore the punishment for our sins so that we would not ever have to parrot ourselves. And Jesus not only died, he rose again from the dead and in his rising from the dead, he proved his power to conquer sin and death and hell and Satan and the grave. And listen to me, friend, listen, the greatest problem of all humanity is our sin and only Jesus can deal with our sin. Only Jesus can provide forgiveness and rescue from hell. Only Jesus can give victory to those who trust in him. Every man, woman, and child must turn to Jesus in faith or be eternally damned in hell. Jesus came to give us victory over the penalty of our sin. Guys, not only did he give us victory over the penalty of our sin, he gives us victory over the power of our sin. Look at verse 9. Keep reading. And they sang a new song. 
saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Christianity isn't an American thing. Christianity and the gospel of Christ is a universal work of Jesus whereby he provides the opportunity for anyone from anywhere to be saved from the penalty of our sin. But he says here, from the very power of our sin. And where do I see that? He uses the word ransomed. The word ransomed means to pay the price to set someone free. And don't you know that when I say the biggest issue in our world today is the problem of our own sin, I am talking certainly about the penalty of our sin when we die, but I'm also talking about the power of our sin as we live. Men and women are trapped. They're enslaved in their sin. We're held captive to sin's power unless someone sets us free. And Jesus died on the cross, not only to provide forgiveness for our sin, but freedom from our sin. Jesus ransoms people who will turn to him in faith. He sets you free from the power of our sin. And that's why the gospel of Jesus is the only hope for the salvation of this world. There's no other solution to the deep-rooted patterns of sin in our world. And everything that we see in our world that is a problem this world faces is rooted in the power of sin that men and women cannot break. Listen to me this, friend. Abortion is a sin problem. Sexual immorality is a sin problem. Sexual abuse is a sin problem. Racism is a sin problem. Interpersonal conflict between spouses is a sin problem. Interpersonal conflict between parents and children is a sin problem. Human trafficking is a sin problem. Drunkenness is a sin problem. Materialism and greed are sin problems. Anger and malice and gossip and slander and selfishness and every other issue that faces this world today. All of them are sin problems. Our world is held captive to sin. But listen, Jesus came to set people free. You can be freed from sin. And I know that some of you come to this place today and you know you have a problem you can't solve. You know there's a power that you don't have to break the patterns of your sin. Listen, there's good news for you. That's why Jesus came. Only Jesus can give victory over sin. But you know what else that means? If this world is going to see any substantial change in those patterns of sin, then it will only be by the power of Jesus and Jesus alone. Nothing else is going to do it. Because no, no, no politician has a plan to break the patterns of sin. And since every problem in our world is a sin problem, no politician has a solution to the problems of this world. So don't believe them when they tell you they do. It's not economic. It's not financial. It's not political. It's spiritual. Only Jesus can give freedom. So why does the mission matter? 
Why does the mission matter? Because only Jesus can give victory over the penalty and power of sin. So we live to tell the world about Jesus. The second thing we see is that only Jesus is able to bring transformation. Look at verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from God, from, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Do you notice that Jesus didn't just ransom people from sin? Verse 9 says that Jesus ransomed people, and notice that next phrase, for God. Jesus died to take people who were separated from God by their sin and now bring them in reconciliation to God so they would be in a brand new whole relationship with Almighty God. Verse 10 says that Jesus makes people a part of God's kingdom. I can't even go down this road very long, but that means they get a brand new king. They get a king who will protect them and provide for them and lead them and care for them. They get a king who's not a self-centered politician who only cares about wielding power and manipulating people for their votes. You ever heard of a politician like that? They get a brand new king, a king who sacrifices himself and lays down his life for his sheep, who protects and provides and cares for and leads his people. Jesus transforms people from mere mortals who live among the nations of men to immortal members of the kingdom of God. And this is a tangent I'm tempted to go down. Let's keep going though. Verse 10 also says that Jesus not only makes us a kingdom where we have a brand new king, he says he makes people priests. Do you know what that means? It means he gives them direct access to God himself. Jesus opens up the very presence of Almighty God to people like us who will trust in Christ. Do you ever wish that you had a direct line to some people in power to let them know what you think? Do you ever do you ever think, man, I really I wish I could call somebody about these gas prices because I've got a thing or two I'd like to say. To someone who could do something about it. You ever feel that desire to have direct access to someone who could do something about the things you can't do anything about? You ever feel that way? You ever feel that way? I'm going to say to you, answer me. Yeah, yeah, we all feel that way. Guess what? You do. Do you know that? You are a priest of the Most High God. You have direct access to the throne of heaven. You have the ability to come boldly before his throne and find that it's a throne of grace and hear this problem. You will find help in your time of need. Friend, you are not powerless and you are not without connections. You are the son of the Most High God. You have a king whose name is Jesus and you have a direct access pass to God Almighty. Are you using it. (laughs) Jesus has the ability to transform people into kingdom people, into direct access priests. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Those who come to Jesus in faith are transformed from sinners separated from God, the priests of the Most High God who have access to God himself. And listen to me, friend, you know why the mission matters? Here's why the mission matters. Only Jesus can do that. 
Buddha can't do that. Muhammad can't do that. Confucius can't do that. New Age gurus, and I don't even know what those are, they can't do that. Eastern mysticism and Hinduism cannot do that. Jehovah's Witnesses cannot do that. You know who can do that? Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can do that. Which means apart from Jesus, people can't do that. They have no access to God. They live without a king lost in this world. That's why the mission matters. Only Jesus is able to bring that kind of transformation. Here's the last thing that we see. Only Jesus is worthy of worship. Look at verse 11. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. To receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Notice this next verse. And I heard every creature. How how many of them? The majority? The majority of them? Was it the majority? No. It was every creature in heaven. And everyone on earth. And everyone under the earth. And everyone that just so happened to slip into the sea at some point in time. Every single creature. Everywhere. You know, that's what it's saying. It's saying that everyone and everything in all of creation says. This is because every knee will bow one day when utter reality is revealed at the return of Christ. Everyone says to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped Jesus And Jesus alone. Listen to me, friend. When everything is said and done, when the history of this world is written, Jesus and Jesus alone will prove to be the center of worship for everything in this entire universe. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Buddha will do that. Muhammad will do that. Confucius will do that. Every New Age guru will will do that. Everyone who follows Eastern mysticism and Hinduism will do that. Everyone, everywhere, one day will see Jesus for who he is, and whether or not they chose to willingly do it in their life, or whether or not they will have no choice in the end, everyone will declare, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We were created for worship. Everyone worships something. The word worship just comes from the root word worth. And here's what it means. Whatever you value or whatever you ascribe the greatest worth is what you worship. And you can literally worship anything. Some people worship the, the mysterious universe. And I don't even know what they mean by that. But they say the universe has a great plan. Are you serious? Some people worship science. Some people worship money. Some people worship sex. Some people worship sports. Some people worship their families. Almost everyone worships themselves. 
Whatever you value most, whatever you ascribe the greatest worth is what you worship. And all of us then accordingly order our lives around what we value most. If you value money the most, you order your life around money. If you value the pleasures of this world the most, you order your life around the pleasures of this world. That means if you worship the wrong thing, you're going to wind up wasting your life. Because you'll order your life around something you value, but it isn't something most valuable. That's why the mission matters. It's not only the way we take the glorious message of Jesus to the people of the world. You know what it is? It's the way that we order our lives around what's most valuable, namely Jesus and his glory and his gospel and his praise. We live on mission because only Jesus is worthy of our whole lives. And the destiny of everyone is to bow before Jesus as Lord. And if they do that on this side of eternity, they will enjoy heaven forever. But if they do that on the other side of eternity, though they will have no choice but to recognize the truth of who Jesus is, they will remain separated from the glories of Christ in an eternity of hell. That's why the mission matters. Only Jesus is worthy of our worship. Several weeks ago, you guys know that I went to the Southern Baptist Convention, and my favorite part of that week was when we prayed over new missionaries who were being sent through our International Mission Board. And we saw 56 new missionary families join the rest of our 3,500 missionaries around the world. And it was a really cool thing. Each missionary family would come up to the stage, they would approach the microphone, they would give their testimony, they would tell where they're going in the world. Then they would ask all of us, 12,000 people in that convention center, to pray for one or two specific things as they go into the mission of Christ among the nations. It was incredible. It's awesome to see young families willing to leave their home and their career in America to take the gospel to the nations. It reminded me, my own nephew stepped out just this year as a missionary in Cambodia, taking his family and his kids around the world for the gospel of Jesus. But a significant number of those new missionaries could not come to the podium. They couldn't stand behind the platform. They had to stand behind a screen that limited us in the audience to only be able to see their silhouette and hear their voice. They didn't say their names. They didn't tell where they were going. They didn't tell us the people group that they were necessarily serving. You know why? Because they are going to places where it's illegal to be a Christian. These young families are are going into this world into places that are hostile to Christianity, places where they can be killed for their faith. And I sat there in that room and I considered what was taking place. It was sobering to me, right? About, About young men and women starting their lives and their careers as husband and wife and moms and dads, going into places where they know they could lose their life for being a follower of Jesus. And it made my heart beat so fast. I mean, why would young, bright men and women who could have successful careers here in America, why would they leave everything that's familiar and go to the poorest, most hostile places on this earth? Some of them potentially willing to die for that cause. Why would they do that, church? You want to know why? Because Jesus is worth it. 
Jesus is worth our lives. He's worth our lives and our families and our fortunes. He's worth it. Only Jesus is worth it. And to live our lives ordered around any other thing, any other dream, is to waste our lives. Church, we are called to go on mission with Jesus, to take the gospel to our neighbors and the nations, to share the love of Jesus with every man, woman, and child. And that mission matters. It matters because there's no substitute for Jesus. There's no one like Jesus for the 8 billion people on planet earth and the 350 million people of the United States of America and the 20 million people of the state of Florida and the 36,000 people who are here on Merritt Island. Only Jesus can give victory over sin. Only Jesus can transform lives. Only Jesus is worthy of their worship. That's why the mission matters. So let me ask the question again. Are you living on mission with Jesus? Are you living on a mission to take the good news of Jesus to your neighbors? Where you live, where you work, where you learn and where you play. That's why we have Who's Your One. Who's Your One is just a way for us to say, how are we relating on mission to the people we pass every single day of our life? Are you living on a mission today? And are you living on a mission to take the gospel to the nations by praying, by giving, by being willing to go? And I just want to close by asking you, would you pray this prayer Lord, wherever you send me, I will go. Just pray that. Lord, wherever you invite me to follow you, I will go. Because Jesus is worth it. And there's no one like Jesus. And that's not just for me. That's for every man, woman, and child. And the way I want to end this morning is by just inviting those of you who've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus to do so right now. There's no one like Jesus. There's no way for you to be forgiven of your sin. There's no way for you to be restored to God. There's no way for you to be transformed and have access to the Father and victory in your life. There is no one who can do for you what Jesus alone can do for you. Would you call on Jesus? Would you trust in Jesus today? If you've never placed your faith in trust, I want to invite you to call on Jesus and, and depend on him today. At the close of the service, I'm going to be down front with our other pastors. We invite you to come and talk with us, pray with us about your relationship with Jesus. Don't leave this place without knowing Jesus as Savior and Lord. Church, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? If you've never placed your faith and trust right now, would you pray? Acknowledge your sin and Christ's sacrifice on the cross in your place and call on Jesus to save you from your sin and to raise you up to a brand new life by his power. And would you, who are followers of Christ, Ask the Holy Spirit to show you how you're being stirred, how you're being led to follow Christ into his mission. 
And would you simply pray, Father, where you lead me, I will go. If it's across the street today, or inviting someone to your cookout tomorrow, will you go? If it's around the world, will you go? Father, I praise you that Jesus came on a mission to seek and save the lost. And I praise you that this is a room filled with people who have been found by Christ and saved. But Lord, I know that not everyone in this place, not everyone who's watching online, not everyone who's listening over the radio is born again. And I pray even in this moment if there is any doubt in their heart whether or not they will spend eternity with you, I pray they would call on Jesus in faith, trusting his perfect life and his sacrificial death and his powerful resurrection to raise them up to a brand new life and forgive them of their sin and restore them to you, Lord. I pray they would call on Jesus and be saved. Lord, I pray we would be a church, that we would be a community of individuals who live in this community to our neighbors and our co-workers and our friends and family on a mission to make the love and gospel of Jesus known. And God, I pray that we would be willing to go, whether it's a short-term trip or the rest of our lives, to go to the nations, to pray for the nations, to give generously to the mission, to send others to the nations because there is no one like Jesus. Lord, I ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.